Just so you know, there's a little bit of coarse language in this. So, now you know. Those living with HIV have been through some pretty tough times, but I'd like to present an argument that suggests there's a new era, and we're in the middle of it right now. Hello, welcome to Inside HIV. My name is Dean Beck, and for the last eight years or so, I've been presenting on radio in Melbourne at Joy 94.9, Australia's only LGBTI radio station. Welcome to Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. Made possible thanks to the Victorian AIDS Council, VAC, working together, and Vive Healthcare, positive action community grants. Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. This is a new project for me. It's one that I'm very excited to be bringing to you. And as an HIV positive person myself, who also loves podcasts, I think this is a great way for us to be able to communicate, share stories, ideas, new information and connect. Over the coming weeks and months, I hope that the information that we share together will become an ongoing resource that you can tap back into. If you're feeling a bit down, you can check up. Um, It is the podcast for positive people. So hopefully each week we'll be able to leave on a high note and at least lift your spirits. And in sharing our stories, we can all become a little more resilient along the way. So to get the series underway, I think it's a good idea to take a look back at where we've come from and what's got us to this point. So let's head back to the mid-1980s, early 1990s. Although only about 15 or 16 years old at the time, looking back at it now, it's a period I refer to as the decade of fear. Australia's gay men watched their friends waste away. They were succumbing to the gay cancer and its complications. And as more and more people died, so too did the sexual freedoms that they got when Victoria decriminalised homosexuality in 1980. As gay men, much of our history and our culture got buried with the bodies of those men who died from AIDS. And it became fertile ground for stigma and discrimination to flourish. So when it came to having sex, gay men became the only section of society that had to be perfect. To remind us of this fact was the federal government's satanically voiced Grim Reaper advert, which commanded, If you have sex, have just one safe partner, or always use condoms. Always. You know, way back in 1965, just five years after the US Food and Drug Administration had approved the pill for contraceptive use, 6.5 million American women were taking back control of their bodies. And the uptake here in Australia was pretty similar to that in the US. Since 1969 here in Victoria, a single woman has known that if she or the pill fucked up and became pregnant, termination was a viable and available option. If a gay man fucked up, or God forbid, the condom broke, what lay ahead was dehumanising ridicule, ostracisation, and the promise of a slow and agonising death.
for six of my mates, those outcomes were so horrendous they took their own lives. It was the mid-1990s and although all of my mates were fit and healthy, they felt that there was no other option after being diagnosed positive than to take their lives. And whilst it was too late for my friends, community action and protests drove the governments right around the world to invest in the science that needed to abate the carnage. of antiretroviral treatments around 1996 delivered the breakthroughs that everyone so desperately sought and it ushered in a new chapter in a period that I refer to as the decade of hope. Scarred and still battling the relentless stigma and discrimination of HIV, gay men and their allies continued to fight for greater access to those life-saving medications. People who seemed moments from death miraculously came back to life. As treatment began, lives were being saved. Hope came with a whole new set of problems though, especially for those who'd previously been counting down the days. You see, they thought their time was up. So they partied, spent all their savings, cashed in their superannuation and went travelling around the world indulging. I've no doubt these distractions eased the pain of becoming HIV positive in a time that was so unsure. So for them, what good was money if your time was up anyway? But thanks to science and medicine, starting treatment meant that time was all these people had. Previously, all cashed up, independent men in their prime now had to rely on Australia's welfare system for just about everything, and they'd have to do so for the rest of their lives. As medications improved and access to them became more available, the lives of these people living with HIV greatly improved. However, the divide between HIV negative and HIV positive gay men opened up a chasm of discrimination and stigma. the likes of which the community had only ever experienced from others. We'd been used to being demonised by heterosexuals and religious fanatics, but now we were turning against ourselves. Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. Back when HIV meant AIDS and AIDS meant death, society might have turned its back on us, but a newly diagnosed HIV-positive man would be enveloped by a small army of dedicated volunteers and doctors and nurses and community organisations, all of whom rallied together to ensure that whatever could be done for that person was done. As we were entering a new millennium, hope now meant that a newly diagnosed person had a suite of professional services and community services all available to them to access. But that personal touch, that hug, provided by those volunteers, that had all gone. 
A newly diagnosed person was on their own. But the stigma and the discrimination, that just got worse. And what followed, I refer to as the decade of silence. The community had fought so hard for about 20 years that it was exhausted. Positive people now did their best not to be in the spotlight nor draw any attention to the issue. They just wanted to live quietly and no one could blame them for that. And we owe those who fought so hard and those who died fighting a great deal of gratitude for their valiant efforts. Emerging was a new generation of people who'd not witnessed the horrors of the past. And public health messages deviated from the single safe sex condom mantra. The idea that introducing the concept of safer sex, sex based on statistical modelling, was always going to be a communications nightmare. But men who have sex with men were desperate for an alternative to condoms. Confusing at best, many of these messages would in practice provide little protection and actually prove wrong for many people. I'll give you an example. Positioning, right? Tops, bottoms, giving it, taking it. I've lost count of how many tops that I know who've become HIV positive. They believe they weren't at risk. I even recall posters in saunas saying how for bottoms the risk was so much greater. And of course the implication was that for tops it was safer. Sorry tops. Then there was serosorting. Now, having sex with someone of the same status makes perfect sense if you're HIV positive. However, if you're HIV negative and have sex regularly with more than one partner, the idea that serosorting would keep you from becoming HIV positive failed many, myself included. And much of this messaging also perpetuated the stigma of HIV. It created sort of an us-and-them mentality that polarised those who were positive and those who were not. Now, I know our HIV organisations are going to argue that at no stage do we say don't wear condoms, I get that. And it's true. But with the benefit of hindsight, I'd suggest that there was just too many variables. You can't go out with one message and include information about testing regimes and window periods and all of that on a poster. It's just too confusing and too much information for a public health campaign to be effective in any way. Further complicating this landscape was the proliferation of bareback porn. Back in the early 1990s, porn was educating men on the importance of condoms and re-educating men about how to have sex safely. It was now producing bareback pornography and it was fetishising what gay men once would have considered just normal sex prior to AIDS. For those of us who were brought up and knew no other way than condoms, the intoxicating allure of such porn would see bareback titles outsell porn with condoms, a ratio of 10 to 1 here in Victoria's adult shops. Australia's gay community began to transform too. Now, I remember Commercial Road in its heyday, and it was once the home of at least half a dozen thriving gay venues. But South Yarra was no longer Melbourne's gay hub. Baby, 
Oxford Street in Sydney, that had become a no-go zone. And those writhing warehouse parties that attracted up to 25,000 sweaty men at a time, well, they just became a thing of the past. And the organisations that ran them, like the Also Foundation and Sydney Mardi Gras, they were in financial ruin. The gay scene was in tatters, and conversations about HIV between gay men disappeared. Without the income from all of those venues, the gay media landscape changed dramatically too, and those weekly free newspapers, they disappeared. So for HIV organisations, communicating sexual health messages, well, that became so much more difficult. And the result, well... New diagnoses of HIV, which for years had flatlined at around 1,000 cases per year, began increasing. Even with all of the advances in science and medicine, our nation's HIV figures were heading in the wrong direction. And the increase in ice usage and on-demand sex provided by dating apps, well, that wasn't helping the situation either. Follow on Twitter at HIV Podcast and like us on Facebook, Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. Back in June of 2011. There's a fire starting in my heart, reaching a fever pitch and it's bringing me out the dark. Australia's federal government signed a United Nations agreement to halve new infections of HIV by 2015. I don't know how on earth they expected that to happen, but if it was going to happen, something had to change. A man called Bill Whittaker, who was the first CEO of ACON in New South Wales, compiled this vast manifesto outlining in detail and state by state what had to be done. It was published by NAPWA, the National Association of People with HIV, and that document would become the list of things to do. Things that needed to be fixed, needed to be implemented, actioned, and done pretty quick because all of a sudden the world's attention was focusing on Melbourne in July of circus, as I've heard it called many times, AIDS 2014, was coming to town. Melbourne will be a moment to shape the future of the AIDS response. What's unique about this conference is it's far more than a scientific meeting. It has three main programs, science, community and leadership. What you're going to see at AIDS 2014 is not just the activation of science and political leaders working together, but you're going to see community coming together, I think, in a new way. You know that uh, there is a strong uh, effort now worldwide in order to accelerate research towards an HIV cure. And our mandate is to make sure that we bring the most inclusive, the most broadly focused global conference on HIV to the Asia-Pacific that would start a global conversation around the issues of indigenous people, around the issues of young people around this region, around the issues of women, around the issues of care for the populations who still continue to be at the very thrust of, the, of this epidemic. 
My message is, uh, especially for the leaders, you are living with the virus and you come up out and say, I have the virus, but I'm living positively with the virus. And I'm also here to make sure I protect myself and I protect others. As a leader, it can influence a lot and it can make an impact. The Global Village will have a very visual exhibition area of Aboriginal culture in Australia, plus will allow our international brothers and sisters to exhibit their culture. And so I encourage everyone to come to the Global Village. You get to see HIV AIDS on a global level. Media everywhere should be supporting people living with HIV, supporting the critical awareness and supporting the love and the kindness I think that we all need if we're going to reach that A3 generation and to truly address the stigma and discrimination. We will all come to Melbourne with a hope that we will have one day a zero new infection, zero discrimination and zero death due to HIV AIDS. Now, over the last three years, the transformation that I personally have witnessed in the HIV response is nothing short of amazing. And it illustrates what's achievable when there is political will from governments to deliver on evidence-based policies and HIV organisations working harmoniously together in genuine partnership with the communities that they serve. Ten years after the USA and the UK, it was the International AIDS Society's biannual conference coming here to Melbourne, AIDS 2014, that was finally the impetus needed to get the federal government to approve point-of-care rapid HIV testing. It would be the catalyst for the repeal of Victoria's HIV criminalisation law, the only one of its kind in Australia. Treatment options at point of diagnosis started to become available and normal. And any concerns around the validity of treatment as prevention, well, they were now conclusively resolved. And it's around AIDS 2014 that the public, for the first time, got to understand there was a new form of protection out there that wasn't plastic. Now, the idea that a pill could protect you from becoming positive saw Victoria's gay men engage in action, education, information and access, the likes of which we hadn't witnessed since the late 1980s. Only this time, they were living, not dying. I think that there's some parts of our community are engaging in more sort of risky behaviour. A lot of young people, they take too many drugs and they probably don't have safe sex because it's so much good fun. I know people who, who've just never, like, never used condoms. A lot of younger guys kind of feel like it's not a big deal anymore. They're comfortable taking risks that people a generation ago just would never have taken. You know, people just don't realise that there's even a problem to be worried about. It's important to remind Australians that um, HIV is still out there. And it's ironic because here we are in a wealthy country with Medicare subsidised medications, good communication strategies, no censorship on our internet. Why is this happening? PrEP is really exciting because it looks like it's a tool that may, in fact, help drive down HIV transmission. It's a great way to think about something as exciting as eliminating HIV infections in this country. 
pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP, has done much more than just offer protection beyond condoms. It's re-engaged men who have sex with men with HIV, and the conversation has returned. There's discourse and dissent from some, but we're talking again. The single message... Always use condoms. Always will remain the perfect solution for the percentage of perfect people who have sex perfectly. However, the rapid uptake of participants of Victoria's PrepEx trial is an indication of just how engaged the community is with the issue and how desperate they are for an alternative solution for staying HIV negative. Three decades of indoctrination is, is going to be really hard to undo overnight. But I want to congratulate those individuals who've actively chosen to take responsibility for their health and their well-being. And in doing so, they're protecting others too. Had it been 12 months earlier, I too would have been on PrEP and not the current combination of drugs that I'm currently taking to keep me undetectable today. You know, ever since HIV was discovered, the number of people here in Australia willing to go public about their positive status could be counted on one hand. Campaigns, however, like Living Positive Victoria's Enough HIV Stigma Campaign, which I'm proudly an ambassador, and initiatives like the Positive Leadership Development Institute, those things are enabling a new wave of positive people to stand up and speak out publicly. beyond taking to the stage and being prepared to front the media. This whole new group of leaders reflects the diversity of people currently living with HIV in Australia and they're forming new social platforms, new support networks, they're coming up with destigmatizing campaigns and they're empowering others in the process. They're unwilling to play the victim card. They're encouraging others to be strong, resilient and to come out from the shadows of stigma and discrimination. They're creating new pathways, forming new alliances and forging initiatives that support the positive community. We're witnessing the dawn of a whole new era. That I'm calling... The Decade of Empowered individuals. Consisting of positive women and men of all ages, heterosexual and gay and culturally diverse people, this new generation of champions promote mental and physical well-being through social media and they facilitate connections through networking events. It's amazing. Standing alongside these positive role models are a whole new set of allies. These are the negative guys that are now empowered to stand up alongside their positive fellows because they're on prep. They're bridging more than 30 years of division, willing to call out stigma, and they're helping to heal the wounds of the past. Whilst scientific advancements continue to offer hope for a cure, technology has delivered us tools to ensure that we can live well right here and now. I'm very pleased to be an ambassador for a new app that's just been launched. It's called My Life Plus. It's developed by NAPWA in conjunction with Vive Healthcare and in consultation with Community. 
It provides essential tools for all HIV-positive people to manage their well-being. The app puts you in charge of your regime from managing your medical appointments and tracking your pills and prescriptions. Importantly, you can store all that information about your CD4s and your viral loads and all of that, enabling you to track your progress over time. Now, if you're like me, you only have to go to the doctor about every four months and get your scripts again. But by using the journal inside this app, any symptoms or any physical or emotional things that I might have over the time, I can put into the app. So when I go to the doctor, it's at my fingertips. The My Life Plus app even includes information on giving up smoking, mindfulness, dealing with stigma, so much more. You can now take control of your physical, mental, emotional and medical well-being with the use of the My Life Plus app. My medical information is no one else's business, so I've password protected the app and all of my information is securely stored on my smartphone. It's accessible only to me. And it helps me keep all of my vital information in the one spot. I love that. I've tried those apps that remind me to take my pills, and they're great, but this one has got everything that you need in the one spot. It's specifically designed for someone living with HIV. And frankly, I think it's amazing. So check it out, mylifeplus.com.au. For me, it's essential. Unlike my six friends who thought they had no future, I'm really looking forward to great times ahead, and I give thanks for the here and the now. I reckon there's no better way to honour those who fought so hard and for so long and those who died way too soon than to live my life to the full, being well now and forever. In the next episode of Inside HIV... I was vomiting uncontrollably. Um, I had diarrhea. Fuck! I had hot and cold sweats. Fuck, 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 fuck! You name it from any flu sort of symptom, just times it by 100. Ah! Did you get a rash? That was the only thing I didn't get was a rash. (laughs) A new diagnosis. Everyone that gets one reacts the same. So how do people cope these days? Well, we'll find out when we meet a man who only last week was diagnosed HIV positive. Visit InsideHIV.net or download from iTunes. Made possible thanks to the Victorian AIDS Council, the AC working together, and Vive Healthcare Positive Action Community Grants. Inside HIV, the podcast for positive people. Follow us on Twitter at HIV Podcast and like us on Facebook. I'm Dean Beck. Stay positive and I'll catch you again next time.